When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 120, and we are recording on February 27th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What's up, Amanda? Hello. Hello. That's all uh, I have to say. <laughs> I know. I don't have anything to say either other than hello. Well, what are you reading? Tell reading. me what you're reading. Um, I am reading Down Among the Sticks and Bones by Seanan McGuire, which is the second, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. The second book. It's the sequel to, um, oh, for the love of God, Every Heart is a Doorway. <laughs> it's a sequel to some other book. I don't know. Um, which is this series that Seanan is writing about like kids who fall through magical portals and end up in other worlds and then come back. Um, so the first book in the series, it's like at a boarding school where kids who came back from some magical world and just want to go home are learning to like readjust to society. And then Down Among the Sticks and Bones is the story of the twins from that book, from the first book, um, who, when they were younger, stumbled into a world uh, that was like very dark and there's like vampires and crazy um, like mad scientists and stuff like that. So they're sort of side-ish characters in the first book. And in this one, it's specifically about their story and how they ended up in that world and then ended up becoming the people that they are in the first book. So it's really great. Um, I mean, I have twins, so I'm like really interested in what she's mm. doing with the nature versus nurture thing. Cause like she goes deep into their backstory about how their, her, their parents raised them with these very strict gender expectations and how that kind of contributed to them ending up in the world that they ended up in. And it's really fascinating. So yeah, I'm enjoying it a lot. What about you? I'm reading a book that Sharifa talked up on the SFF Yeah podcast a while back. Um, and it's super interesting. It's a sci-fi novel. It's called Mem by Bethany C. Morrow. And it takes place... It's, it's a fun alternate history sci-fi novel. So it takes place like 100 years ago, early 1900s. Uh, and it's what if scientists in Montreal figured out a way to pull memories from people. And so it's supposed to be, you know, this is a concept we've seen before. Like it's supposed to be like, you know, healing from trauma. Like what if you could just take the traumatic memory out of your body? Uh, but this procedure requires that you create, like, basically a clone of yourself and put the memory into that clone. And normally they don't really last very long, but there's this one specific mem, is what they're called, um, who, like, can create her own memories and, uh, and like, be a functional human, but she's the only, or a functional being, rather. There's, there's, they're questioning whether or not she's human, um, and so it's all about, like, you know, what is she? Is she a full person? Does she count as a person? Do the other mems need to count as a person? I'm only halfway through, but I'm really enjoying how it's kind of, like, like it's set among this, like, very high society. So it a little feels like The Great Gatsby, except in Canada and with sci-fi, which is, is like, a really cool, interesting take on it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, so far I'm really digging it. Uh, so that's Mem by Bethany C. Morrow. Alrighty, so you are listening to Get Booked. Thanks for listening. And we are a show, as I said before, for personalized reading recommendations, which means that you send us questions about what you should read next, what 
what you could give to a family member or a friend or your book club to read, uh, what you should get for a present for people at your office party. We actually have that question today, or a similar one anyway. Uh, so you can send us questions, uh, any variety of those, and we will do our best to answer them. If you have a date that you need the answer by, if it's time sensitive, please do let us know uh, at, like very early in your submission so that we can try to get to it on time. You can submit your questions either in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site, or you can send them to us via email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. And if we're not going to get to it by the day you specify, I might send you an email response instead. Uh, so keep an eye out for those. Let's see. Oh, Amanda, tell them about the Instagram giveaway. Okay. Um, we are giving away on our Instagram account a $500 worth of the Penguin Cloth Bound Classics, which are those beautiful, very Instagrammable um, cloth bounds that you've seen. I'm sure you've seen them everywhere. Um, designed by Coralie Bickford Smith. We picked $500 worth of our favorite one. So there's like some Jane Austen and some Dickens and some Tolstoy all mixed together. Uh, and to enter, you just go to our Instagram account. It's Instagram.com slash book riot or just, you know, on your phone, it's at book riot and it's pinned to the top of the um, profile. So you can just click on that to see the entry place. And all you have to do is tag a friend. That's it. And that's how you enter. You can tag as many people as you want. Every tag is a new entry. And then we're going to leave it up for a month. So it's been up for about two weeks now. So it, it runs until the middle of March. Um, and we're just going to use a random number generator to pick the random winner. And then we will DM you if you have one. So good luck and go enter that giveaway. Sharifa said that she was the one who got to pick the books mm-hmm. when we were recording SFF Yeah this past week. And I was so jealous. Yeah. It was fun when I was like, you've got a $500 budget. Go pick some classics. And she was like, wow. I know. My head would have exploded. I can't even imagine. Yeah, All right. So I'm going to read our first question. And then Amanda's going to do our first sponsor. And then we will start with the recommending. So our first question is from Chanel, who says, my mom is throwing me a book-themed baby shower, which I am very excited about about. She wants to give all the guests a book as part of the party favors. The guest is an interesting the guest list is an interesting mix of people. Men and women will be there, but most of the guests will be women over 40 with a handful of people my own age. I'll be 30 when the shower happens. The men who will be there like Game of Thrones, but some like video games and comic books, while others like military stories. I don't want my mom to spend too much on books, so I'm thinking paperbacks are the way to go. Do you have any suggestions for books that can appeal to pretty much anyone or something for the men and something else for the women? Okay, so our first sponsor is The Veil by Brian D. Anderson, which is book one in the Behind the Veil series. This is uh, an epic fantasy series for all of you epic fantasy fans out there about Drake, who is a disgraced royal guard turned bounty hunter. He's been exiled from his home to the surrounding provinces where resources are very limited. Starvation is super commonplace. So it's in all of this squalor and poverty of his exile that he thinks that this is where he's going to you know, spend the, the rest of his remaining days. Um, so after years of labor and suffering, he's given a chance to go home to return to the life that he misses and has longed for since the moment he left his home city. But he really quickly discovers that the life he wants is built on a total foundation of lies. So this is he uncovers like a global conspiracy in this post-apocalyptic world that's filled with like magic and mages. There's monsters and all these really fantastical weapons um, and like an enhanced car. There's a lot going on here. So it's epic fantasy with a little bit of sci-fi thrown in. Um, So if that's a thing that you sound interested in, go check that out. That's The Veil by Brian D. Anderson. And thank you for sponsoring the show. 
Okay, I will just keep going. So I picked a children's class, a classic of children's literature for you because I think it's really appropriate for a baby shower and also it's common enough to be pretty inexpensive um, for your mom. So I picked The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Never know how to say that. Um, which everyone loves. <laughs> like I have never met a human on this earth who does not like The Little Prince. It's an adorable... I'm wearing a Little Prince sweater right now. That this, was accidental, actually. This is the moment I confess I've never read it. Oh, it's a, just, oh, just right in the feels, you know? Like it's just... It's so heartwarming and nice. But the main character is a, a pilot. Um, and so I thought maybe like the dudes who are coming to your shower who are into the military would appreciate that kind of little bit of angle. Um, so the, the, it's an allegory here. Uh, and um, oh, I don't know, like a work of really interesting, simplified, but heartwarming philosophy. So it's about a pilot who crashes in the desert. And while he is stranded and thinking he's probably going to die here, um, he is visited by this little man or little boy who he calls the little prince who is traveling on his own little comet, um, like his own little tiny planet, going on an adventure through the universe, like trying to figure out why adults act the way they do, basically. Um, and then <laughs> him and the little prince have a series of really interesting conversations. Um, there's a rose involved. He's, he's, I mean, I think if you think about it literally, the little prince is actually like a small E.T. alien figure on his own little comet wearing a scarf with a rose. Um, but it's just adorable and is very much about how the cynicism of adulthood overshadows the things that we know to be true in childhood and so the little prince is a character who's speaking those truths back to this man who's dying in the desert and so you know as an adult it does that thing that the life of pi does a little bit we're like as an adult you're reading this and you know he's hallucinating this whole thing he's dying of dehydration um and none of this is really happening but also it is happening, so like the reality of it doesn't really matter. Anyway, um, it's there's a lot going on here, but it is a classic, um, and I think that anyone that you give this to at your shower will love and appreciate it, or like be transported back to their own childhood when they read it. Um, so yeah, that's The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. That's a great suggestion, though. I love the idea of giving people like grown-ups baby book, like kids books at a yes. baby shower. That's nice. Um, I picked a trivia-ish book for you because who doesn't like trivia, specifically movie trivia? It's Name That Movie, 100 Illustrated Movie Puzzles by Paul Rogers. And I sold a bajillion of this book one holiday season back when I was at the bookstore. Uh, it is basically what it says. It's 100 little, he calls them movie puzzles, but they're basically clues uh, each film gets six line drawings like in a very specific sequence but they don't it's there's no movie stars to give it away and you're you have to guess from the clues what movie it is and it's a really nice just piece of illustration like the author Paul Rogers is an illustrator and a poster artist and has done a bunch of work for a bunch of different places. So the style is neat. It's just a fun book to flip through. And then we would spend like a significant chunk of our breaks being like, what movie is that? Like it was really fun to like hand around in a circle and be like, it's this one. No, it's this one. And of course the answer, there's an answer key and an index. Um, and their movies like, you know, it's a, it's a huge range of movies. There's old stuff in there like Psycho. There's newer stuff in there like Pulp Fiction. Like there's just a bunch 
bunch of different uh, types of movies that, but are that are basically well known. So I think it works pretty well across age groups and interests because there's going to be a movie in there that somebody in the group will get, um, and it's just a fun book. Like it's a good coffee table book to have. I just feel like it's a good one. And I checked the prices, and it looked around like it was going to be between ten and fifteen bucks. So not so bad um, if you have to buy a bunch of them. So that is Name That Movie, 100 Illustrated Movie Puzzles by Paul Rogers. Okay, our next question is from Whitney, who says, This has been a wonderful week for me because I saw Black Panther twice, and I just finished my second reading of The Wedding Date by Jasmine Guillory, and I'm realizing I'd love your help in finding some new books, especially books that center black characters as joyful and thriving and not always dealing with the struggle of being black. Um, let's see, as a black woman, I'm realizing that I need more books like The Wedding Date because I'm weary of books and movies that center the narrative around the hardships of being black. I'd love to see if you can suggest some books like that. I'd love more chiclet with a black woman protagonist and extra points for multiracial, interracial relationships. Okay. Um, I took this to the contributors because I have neither seen Black Panther yet nor read The Wedding Date. So I wanted to make sure that I got it right. I'm seeing Black Panther on Friday. Don't at me. I'm all right. I'll get there. (laughs) I'm contributing to it being a billion dollar movie. Okay. Um, All right, so our contributor Jamie recommended The Awesome Girl's Guide to Dating Extraordinary Men by Arnessa T. Carter, which Goodreads lists as chiclet. So if you specifically ask for chiclet, and I think that this will really get it for you. So there are four main characters in this book, four women, and they follow the book follows their relationships and their friendships over a period of two years. So Sharita, Thursday, Risa, and Tammy are the three books, and they're they're all in really kind of disastrous or not satisfactory points in their love lives um and not all only one of them is like openly like looking for looking for love you know like looking for romance out there trying to get it the other three are focusing on their careers one of them really wants to be a musician um and get like an album deal uh one of them has just been fired as a spokesmodel for her family's hair company and is like trying to figure out a way to make it on her own so but and along the way the three of them kind of find love in all the wrong places well not necessarily um that's just a tagline from a commercial. <laughs> where did the where that just like came out of my mouth? And I don't know where. I'm, I don't know where it's from either, but it sounds super familiar. Like looking for love in all the wrong places. Is that like a? That's a thing. I'm gonna have to Google it later. Anyway, so uh, like Sharita is a con- really really conservative accountant. She's working on making a partner at her firm, and also she's the one who like is wants to find the man of her dreams. Like she's making this life happen. Um, and then Thursday is the daughter of a former, uh, like a formerly super famous well-known rapper. And she has, she does this thing that I love in this book where she's a serial one month stander, like not a one night stander, one month. Like she burns really bright in these really intense romances for like four weeks and then she gets bored and moves on. And so she's looking to like settle down. Um, and so it's doing that thing that like the really the best of, I, I really don't like the term chiclet, but I'm going to keep using it because you used it. And I feel like maybe like, let's reclaim it a little bit. It's doing the, that thing that women's fiction really does where it is um, showing you the interior lives of just regular women, like doing the thing, like working their jobs, dealing with their families, dealing with their kids, finding love um, or not finding love. Um, but it's not about like how the, the struggle, like it's not about the difficulties of being a black woman in the world. It's about living life and paying your bills and, you know, your dad who's really annoying and your boyfriend who's kind of a jerk, that kind of stuff. So I think this is uh, really perfect for what you're looking for. So that's The Awesome Girl's Guide to Dating Extraordinary Men by Ernesta T. Carter. 
I picked a graphic novel that just I just read recently. It's called Bingo Love uh, by T. Franklin, and the artist is Jen Saint Ange. And this is so sweet. It's a it's a it's a lesbian love story. Um, well, let's call it a queer love story because there's anyway. Okay, so here's the here's the plot line. What happened was um, what happened was so these two women uh, who are both women of color meet when they are young at a church bingo. Uh, they meet in 1963. They're young girls. They meet and they become friends and it slowly becomes clear to them that they have more than just friendly feelings for each other. But because they're growing up in the 60s and 70s, this is unacceptable. Um, so their families basically tell them they can never see each other again. And they both grow up and marry men and have families. They have kids and grandkids now. And then when they're in their 60s, they see each other again for the first time since they were teenagers at a bingo hall, right? Like, don't you have feelings? Oh right my god, now? I'm already like tearing up. <laughs> so many feelings. Um, and they get back together, and it's the story basically of how they met and like how they came to understand their feelings about each other. And then you kind of skip forward to them in their 60s. And it's like, it's it, it reminds me a little bit of Grace and Frankie, if like that was actually a queer show with people of color, which it's not. Um, but like, you know, taking seriously the romantic life of older women and people like reuniting after so many years and deciding to, you know, take charge of your love life, even though you're a grandmother. Like, that's not a story we get to see very often. Um, and it's just so, so sweet i will warn you there is some sads uh so like have some tissues handy but overall it is a really sweet and lovely story that gave me all of the heart feels and the art is beautiful the colors are so vibrant and i love the way that the characters are drawn it's a really gorgeous book to flip through and look at the art is just really vibrant so yeah i feel like this will give you you're looking for those good feels this has all of them that's Bingo Love by T. Franklin. Uh, the artist is Jen St. Ange, and the colorist is Joy San. And the letterer is Cardinal Ray. Why not say all of them? Let's say all of them. <laughs> okay, question three is from Andrea, who says, I realized after listening to a few podcasts, including Serial, Murder on Orchard Street, and Dirty John, and watching TV shows like Making a Murderer, that I love true crime. It is a genre I have never read before, and I would love some recommendations. I'm just going to keep talking. Uh, I do not love true crime because it <laughs> freaks me out. It freaks me right out. Um, but I went to Liberty, who is has a much uh, is made of sterner stuff than I am, and um, and loves true crime. And she and a bunch of the other insiders actually recommended "I'll Be Gone in the Dark: One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer" by Michelle McNamara. Uh, there's a foreword from Gillian Flynn and an afterword from Patton Oswalt. This one has some like pop culture situating. Um, so McNamara is a journalist and she was obsessed with this case of the Golden State Killer. Um, who was a rapist turned murderer who like terrorized California for over a decade. So, so yeah, really terrible, like terrible alert. Um, and so she like decades after uh, he disappeared and never was caught, um, she got really like invested in the story. She like went over police reports and interviewed victims and, you know, went into the online communities where people pick apart cold cases Um and she died suddenly, and she was working on this book 
at, at the time of her death. Um, so this, what they've done here is sort of framed it. Um, so Gillian Flynn wrote the intro, and then she was married to Patton Oswalt, comedian. Uh, so he wrote an afterword, and, and her lead researcher and colleague completed the book. So it's a it's an interesting book on a couple levels. Like it's a posthumous publication um, by a journalist who was really intent on discovering who was responsible for these heinous crimes. Um, Liberty did say that if you live alone or are easily scared, do not read this book. Like maybe skip it because it did give her, she in fact felt weird being alone after reading this book because of all of the horrible crimes that are committed um, and discussed at length in the book. So, you know, that. Um, but, you know, if you're, if, you're, if you're digging the true crime and you're not afraid of the dark, then you should pick up I'll Be Gone in the Dark uh, by Michelle McNamara. Well, I'm going to go right on ahead and skip that one. Yeah. <laughs> put it in the freezer. Just put it right in the freezer. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Um, okay. So my pick for you is The Red Parts by Nag- Maggie Nelson. Um, who is a wonderful poet and author of The Argonauts, which is one of my favorite books about parenting. So this book is so interesting. Um, Maggie comes from a family where uh, her aunt was murdered very brutally in the 60s when she was 23 years old on her way home to tell her parents from whom she was estranged for political reasons that she was getting married. Um, So her name was Jane. Jane arranged for a ride home um, to, I'm pretty sure, California from the University of Michigan um, through the campus bulletin board, and that was the last time she was heard from. So her body was found the next morning, uh, like laid out kind of ceremonially uh, at a small cemetery a couple of miles away, shot twice in the head, and she was strangled. And so her uh, her murder was officially never solved. They linked it to a, a serial killer who was active in that area at the time, but it was never officially proven to be linked. So it goes unsolved, and Maggie kind of grows up, um, never knowing her aunt, but her mother is, like, very anxious about, I don't want to say paranoid, but, like, she's very anxious about safety and, like, home invasions and things like that. Her grandfather calls her Jane because she apparently looks a lot like her. And so in 2004, Maggie was herself writing a book of poetry that was about to come out called Jane, about her aunt um, and about her, her life and her death that it interweaves some pieces of Jane's diaries Um, and like Maggie went out and talked to Jane's boyfriend at the time who himself was a suspect for a while and she does all of this research and then right before the book is about to come out there's a DNA match on the clothes that Jane was um, murdered in and the case is reopened and so her so the red parts is about both like Maggie dealing with but I just went through like I just unearthed all of my family history and put my family through all of this and myself to write this book of poetry, and now we have to do it all over again, but in front of everyone. Because, like, since, you know, Jane was a young, attractive white girl who was killed in a really brutal fashion, the, you know, this, the case gets a lot of publicity. And then 30 years later, it's just there's a lot of voyeurism involved with what happens to Maggie and her family um, as Jane's case is tried. So, like, there, there's a DNA match to a man who... Was a, was a nurse at the time, or still is a nurse, um, and he is now in his, like, 60s or 70s and has grandchildren, um, and so her family has to sit there and, like, watch him be tried for this murder that happened 30 years ago that they all think that they've, like, gotten over, but, like, of course, none of them actually have. Um, and so there's a lot of questions, both of, 
you know, about like our obsession with pretty young girls and their violent destruction, um, but also um, the questions about like the legal system. Like, are these, is this DNA match enough to put away a man for life for something that he maybe did or didn't do? And Maggie herself never makes any pronouncements about whether she thinks that he definitely did or definitely didn't murder her aunt. So it's just a really, and it's really small. Like you could probably read it in a setting. Um, So if you need your true crime to be a little bit less on the like, someone's definitely going to come murder me tonight now that I've read this. (laughs) I think this is a good introduction because it's like, it's about a true crime, but it's also about like the responsibilities that poetry has to the truth. Like these big kind of existential questions. So I really liked it. So that's The Red Parts by Bangie Nelson. Okay, question four is from Nilam, who says, I've recently discovered dystopian and or post-apocalyptic novels, and I have to say I'm totally in love. Some of my favorites are Orcs and Crake, Brave New World, Wind Up Girl, Water Knife, and The Handmaid's Tale, and right now I'm reading an excess mail. I would love some recommendations that fall along these lines. Jen will appreciate you making a distinction between dystopia and post-apocalyptic I novels. I do! <laughs> it warms the cockles of my very specific heart. <laughs> Why don't you, you go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for sending this question. It makes me so happy uh, on several levels. I am delighted to recommend to you Brown Girl in the Ring by Nalo Hopkinson. This is a... It's a post-economic collapse novel, Um, not too far off from Waterknife, actually. So I think it will fit in with um, the other things that you have read. So it takes place in Canada. I'm trying to remember if it's Toronto or not, Uh, because, of course, the description. It is Toronto. Okay, I was right. Um, Oh, apparently I say Toronto like somebody who's not from there. I have been told, but that's fine. Um, so, So what has happened is that all of the people with any money have fled from the city itself into the suburbs and left behind just sort of like a devastated, economically collapsed wasteland in the city. And the book follows a family of women who are trying to sort of survive and, like, make good in this situation. Um, T. Jean is the main character. She's young. She's unmarried. um, But she has a baby with a man who she has left because he is addicted to uh, this drug called Buff. Um, And he, like, keeps saying he's going to get his you know, stuff together and he keeps not doing it because that's what happens when you're addicted. Um, And she's finally like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm taking my baby. I'm going back to my mom. And you just are going to have to, you know, do your own thing. And uh, and her mother, who uh, is referred to as Mommy Gross Jean, um, she is a medicine woman and a practitioner of Afro-Caribbean magic. And she really wants T. Jean to sort of, you know, learn from her and carry on the legacy. But T. Jean is super uninterested. So you have this sort of you know, older generation, younger generation dynamic going on. Uh, and then... Her, her, you know, baby daddy, Tony, is like, I'm going to pull off this one big job and I'm going to get enough money for us to leave the city and go f- find a place in the suburbs and live together and be a family. And she's like, sure, let me know when you get that sorted out. Um, and he embroils himself in this mobster situation that then pulls T. Jean and her grandmother and even her baby in a magical, weird way um, into the situation. And this is a really 
like really incredibly immersive reading experience. You really feel like you're there. And uh, Hopkinson has done such a good job of like capturing all the details of what life would be like in this urban environment that no longer has sort of the the underlying economic basis to sustain what would pass as normal life. And um, like normal sort of middle class life. Uh, Big air quotes around that. (laughs) And it also includes, as you might guess from um, the description of her grandmother, it includes these elements of uh, Afro-Caribbean magic and religion. So there's, you know, there's gods that get involved in this um, and spirits and and all kinds of amazing supernatural stuff added to it. And the the, uh, sort of climactic sequence um, involves the what's the really tall building I'm gonna forget its name but there's like a really incredibly tall like needle like building in Toronto and it involves that in a really interesting way anyway I'll stop telling you random details about this book but you can tell from my gushing that I love it so much I think it's amazing and I think it's a book that every fan of that kind of dystopian and post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic literature, woo, tongue twister in the morning, uh, should have read because it's it's just an essential piece of the genre. It's just essential. So that is Brown Girl in the Ring by Nalo Hopkinson. Okay, I picked The Power by Naomi Alderman, which is a fairly new book that won uh, the Women's Prize for Fiction last year. And this is, this is a dystopia and a post-apocalyptic novel if you're a dude. So... <laughs> But it's really hard to explain. Um, so the basic conceit here is that it is very Handmaid's Tale-ish. It's doing the same kind of structure. Or if you remember in The Handmaid's Tale, it opens at a um, like an academic symposium talking about the events of The Handmaid's Tale that happened like thousands of years ago. So this does the same thing. The book opens and you're, you're reading a conversation between two authors and historians about this thing that happened several thousand years ago. So... Um, the thing that has happened is that teenage girls, uh, that the thousands of years ago is now. So it's like the bulk of the book is, is in contemporary times. Teenage girls have developed this physical power where they, um, like that comes out of their nervous system where they can put, uh, th- put electrical pulses out of their hands. Um, it causes really agonizing pain. They can kill people with it. Um, and so it starts with teenage girls, but then it starts to spread where every new female baby who is born is born with this ability and the teenage girls can awaken it in older women who are alive now. So eventually, almost every woman on the planet over a series of a few years has this ability to cause really bad physical pain or to kill people um, with the power that comes out of their hands. So, of course, of course, every system upon which we function as a society right now is completely inverted. Um, Sexual violence... It obviously doesn't have the same sort of like effect on women as it does um, right now. Political situations in every country on the planet completely changes. Um, some of them to the point where it it totally flips, where um, men become very men are not allowed to leave the house without a female escort. Men are not allowed to hold political office. Men are not allowed um, to own businesses without permission of a woman. Um, Men experience a lot of sexual violence. I should have trigger warning this at the beginning. There's a lot of sexual violence against both men and women uh, in this book. Um, so you can see where, like, it's a dystopia, but I can see how some people would think that it's not. Like, if you are coming at it from a perspective of, like, if you, okay, so look this up. I'm having such a hard time explaining this. But if you if you look up the reviews on Goodreads, the very first question, you know, like how Goodreads has those popularly answered questions or asked questions at the top, 
Um, it's from a man who says, but what would happen if an author wrote a book about men having the power to electrocute women to death? Wouldn't that be a problem? And all of the answers are like, right, see all of human history. There you go. Like, that's the book that has been written about men having the power to harm women. So it's taking that very fundamental idea that women are subjugated to men and have been throughout all of humanity's history because men are physically more powerful than us and flipping it on its head. And it seems so ridiculous, the things, the things that women in this book end up doing to men. Like, we've experienced those things. Of course, we wouldn't do that if we suddenly had the ability to because women know what it's like. But like, would we? <laughs> question mark or like out of vengeance would we maybe I don't know it's very thought-provoking um but since you liked The Handmaid's Tale so much I think that this would be a good companion and Margaret Atwood blurbs it really big on the front and I'm pretty sure helped her write it so that's The Power by Naomi Alderman yeah I think I've read that uh Alderman was a student of Atwood right yes Atwood was her mentor yeah not helped her write it like co-wrote it (laughs) that's not what I meant to say (laughs) but was like influential in the creation of the book anyway yeah yeah go Jen go um Okay, so it's time for our second sponsor, which is A Girl Like That, the debut novel from Tanaz Bethena. And it is about a young woman named Zareen Wadia, who is a bright and vivacious student. She is also an orphan and a risk taker and the kind of girl that parents warn their kids to stay away from. Uh, She's a troublemaker and her many romances are the subject of endless gossip. And the book, as it pieces together her story, it becomes clear that she is more than just a girl like that. Uh, So this is, as I said, a debut novel that reveals a whole new rich and wonderful world. It It tackles complicated issues of race and identity and class and religion. And it also paints a portrait of ambition, angst, and alienation that feels both inventive and universal. Um, It starts... Uh, oh, they're pitching it as If I Stay meets The Truth About Alice um, because a girl like that begins with Zareen and Porus, who are the main characters, and they have died in a car crash in Saudi Arabia. Um, and then the story unfolds from there with all of these different voices coming together to unravel the mystery of their deaths. So Bethena is tackling slut-shaming and gender politics and bullying and gossip and the expectations and standards which girls are held to in modern society. Boy, it's almost like we were just talking about this. <laughs> funny how that works sometimes so if that all sounds interesting to you you should check out a girl like that uh, by tanaz bethena thank you so much for sponsoring the show all right our next question is from Teresa, who says in the years since i graduated college i've tried to make a concerted effort to continue educating myself and particularly interested in women's and gender studies social justice issues and using history to inform our current political moment the problem is i'm finding it very difficult to get through the nonfiction books i'm picking up i do most of my reading during my commute or lunch break whenever i can fit it when i've tried reading nonfiction in short bursts like this i found that i don't retain anything i've read I've tried books of essays, mostly Roxane Gay's Bad Feminist, and had more success, but the segmented nature makes it hard to keep up momentum. I'll finish an essay, put the book down, and not return to it for weeks. So I'm looking for suggestions for narrative nonfiction that will keep me more easily engaged. Teresa, you are not alone. A lot of us have experienced this. Um, 
I am going to keep talking. I'm going to tell you that I had a hard time picking a book for you because it's so true. Essay collections can tend to feel very segmented and that does make it hard to keep up the momentum. But then if you get into something really heavy, it's hard to keep the momentum up that way. So I picked In the Country We Love, My Family Divided uh, by Diane Guerrero, co-authored by Michelle Burford, which is the Diane Guerrero, the television actress from Orange is the New Black and Jane the Virgin. Her personal story is that she, when she was 14 years old, her parents and brother were arrested and deported while she was at school. Uh, she was born in the U.S., so she was able to stay. And so she had to move in with family friends, basically, and, like, go from couch to couch to finish high school and then decide, like, how she was going to build a life and make a career for herself without having access to her family. And this is a story that's not unique to Diane. Um, a lot of people have experienced this. Um, and it is a really compelling memoir, both because she talks about what her life was like before her parents were deported. And, and you know, it's interesting because a lot of it is just like normal growing up stuff, as you would expect. But then there are these moments where you see her parents' fears about their documentation and what's going to happen if somebody reports them, for example. And then you see her struggling after they were taken away to figure out like how to be you know, she, she has to grow up really fast all of a sudden emotionally. Um, and that doesn't work out super well for her. Uh, she struggles with, um, self-harm and suicidal, like depression and a lot of different things. Um, but ultimately she makes it through obviously because now she's on TV and is super famous. Um, and it's really cool to see somebody who has made it big, being so open about where they came from and how hard it was and and really revealing the personal side of the immigrant issue, which is obviously very relevant to our lives today. So I think that this one has enough of a narrative because it is a memoir, but it also is giving you the personal aspect of a, of a social justice issue uh, that you are interested in learning more about. So I feel like this is hopefully going to grab your attention for long enough to get through it, and it will give you a a lot of feelings and also you know it gives you a starting point for doing further more academic if you like research uh on this topic <clears throat> excuse me so that is in the country we love my family divided by diane guerrero and co-authored by michelle burford okay um i picked notorious rbg the life and times of ruth bader ginsburg by irene carmen and shanna uh nisnik um so i picked this because i thought a biography would have a little bit more of a narrative follow-through, uh, so it wouldn't feel as fragmented as a collection of essays. And also, if you're trying to learn more about women's issues and gender studies and social justice, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I think a biography of her is a great place to start because she has lived through all of those, like all of our modern movements and has made a lot of um, legal... Like she, her decisions and also maybe even more so her dissents have had a lot of um, repercussions on social justice activism and feminism um, and civil rights in general uh, in the U.S. So she, of course, I, I mean, you know, she's a Supreme Court justice. I feel like I don't need to tell you who Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, um, especially since she's really important that she stays with us for like another three years at least. Um, but she has had a lot of decisions on the uh, in the court that have been really seminal. And she's also 
just an interesting figure. Like she was really good friends with with Scalia, which still to this day I'm like, how is that possible? Um, but anyway, so but her life itself is also a really I think iconic, um, not study in, but uh, lived narrative of feminism almost like she was one of the first women she was not the first but the second you know woman on on the supreme court um but like in law school she had so many struggles of dealing with sexism and like i don't remember which school it was she tried to get into but they didn't accept her because they already had like a woman or whatever um but she faced so much sexism as a young attorney uh, because her husband is also an attorney um and you know, like in growing up in the '60s and going to school in the in the '60s and '70s, and um, trying to make a career for herself while raising young children, while married to a man who was himself a very talented uh, legal mind, she just had obstacle after obstacle after obstacle that um, a lot of us can relate to still. Uh, and then her career, her early career, was a lot of work for women's rights. Um, there's a lot of surprising stuff about Ruth Bader Ginsburg that you'll find out in this book, which reads like kind of a like. 101 guide to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but also through her, a 101 guide to the legal, the big seminal legal decisions for uh, women's rights in the U.S. Like her opinions about Roe versus Wade will probably be really surprising to you. Like she thought that it was too much too soon, um, which coming from her is like, what? Uh, but there's a lot. Uh, if you read this on audio, which I did, it was it was really interesting to hear her dissents like read out loud to you because legal legal decisions um, can often sound very like hard to get through and you know boring and whatever but she's a like just an amazing writer and is so angry like so much of the time when she's writing these dissents and they, it just comes through really well but I think in reading the story of her life you are really reading the story of a lot of women's struggles in the U.S. Um, in a way that's like kind of irreverent and fun. It's not a hard book to get through. It's not dense or very long. Um, and of course, it's like framed through hip hop, which is a nice touch. Um, not necessarily a nice touch after she said the stuff that she said about Colin Kaepernick, but whatever, we're going to, whatever. <laughs> I can't do anything about that. So that's Notorious RBG by Aaron Carmon and Shanna Nisnik, whose name I will say right one of these days. Okay. Um, Let's see. Our next question is from Jessica, who says, I want to read more books about and or written by people of color. I love fiction, YA, and sometimes nonfiction. Uh, no graphic novels, please. I love books about culture and everyday stuff. I also love fantasy and magic. Mostly, I just want to expand my library to include people of color, different cultures, and life through a different perspective. Okay, go ahead, Jen. We'll stop talking. Yeah, yeah. I am so excited about this question, too, uh, because it means I get to recommend The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeco, who is Filipina. And this book is a YA fantasy that is inspired by Asian cultures and mythology. Um, and the lead character, T, is so great because she is really... She's really angry <laughs> for good reasons. Um, and she it's it's interesting to watch her develop as a character and decide what she's going to do with her powers. So T is born with a gift for necromancy. She can raise the dead. Um, and in her society, uh, she like this is a known power, but it's also one that people are obviously very afraid of. And so you if you are a bone witch, 
you have to go and train with the other bone wishes, which is, and you are sort of trained to become an Asha, um, to control your magic and to use it for the kingdom's purposes. And so she has to like, you, you see her trying from being a little kid and, and making this happen for the first time. She accidentally brings her older brother who she loves very much back from the dead. And so now she has like her zombie brother following her around um and she's like whoops and they're like yeah off to asha school for you and it's a really intense hierarchy at the school and not everybody wants to see her succeed so she is struggling with her fellow students and with the teachers um and then and her magic is like because of course she's sort of a chosen one figure in YA her magic is very strong um and it puts her in situations that she would not otherwise be in and watching her make those decisions is really i was so compelled i was so engrossed. I was just like, what is she going to do? And the world, you said you liked, you know, different cultures and um, like seeing life through a different perspective. The world is just not like any other YA fantasy that I've read. I really appreciated the care and thought that Rin Chupeco put into the world building. I will warn you, this is the first in a series and it feels very book one at the end. It stops at a really key moment and you're like, how did you do this to me? (laughs) How dare you? you?" (laughs) Yes, it's a very how dare you. I need to know what's going to happen next, um, but I really enjoyed it. And I think that you will be into it. And the next book does come out this year. So you will not have as long to wait as I had. <laughs> also, I read this early. My mistake. Um, so that is The Bone Witch by Rin Chupeco. Okay, I picked one of my favorite books of last year, When Dimple Met Rishi by Sandhya Menon, which my book club just read and picked. And it was, I was not responsible for that. Someone else nice. picked it. And I was so happy. And everyone in my book club loved it. So Dimple Shaw is the main character. She is um, out of high school. Like, she's just graduated. And, uh, right, I think? Anyway, yeah. it's summer after her, you know, whatever. She's a, a teenager. And it's uh, summer. And she's going off to a summer program for web developers um, because this is what she wants to do. Like she's big into STEM. She loves computers and web development and all of that. And she wants to go to this camp, um, where one of her heroes is hosting a contest where kids from all over come together and design an app and whoever wins like her hero, this character is going to, um, give that, like help them develop it for like an actual app. Um, and so this is what she wants to do. She's not concerned, but her parents, Well, her mother, her father is kind of a little bit quiet on the topic, but her mother um, wants her to find, like, an ideal Indian husband. Like, this is what she wants for her, but Dimple is having none of it. So she goes, she goes to this camp, and there she meets Rishi, who is a just snowflake, like a cinnamon bun. Like, I just want to hugs so much, so many hugs for this guy. He is a hopeless romantic. Um, He's going to business school because his parents want him to. He loves his parents at, like, like legitimately wants to make them happy and like legitimately respects them and wants to do the things that will make them happy, wants to have the life that they want for him. Like this is a thing he's, he like actually really desires. So unbeknownst to Dimple, um, Rishi, Rishi's parents and Dimple's parents have arranged for them to meet in the hopes that they, I mean, it's not at the hope so much, but like it's an arranged marriage. Like they want, the two families want these two kids to come together. So Rishi, finds out that Dimple is going to be going to the same summer program that he's going to. And so he's like 
made all these plans to meet her and woo her and like get to know each other while they're doing this summer program thing. And then of course they're going to get going to get married because tradition and family and stability and culture and all of this stuff that's so important to Rishi. So he, he like sees her on campus and goes up and it's like, hello, future wife. And she throws her coffee at him. because <laughs> she, she has no idea who this guy is. Like her parents did not tell her that they had arranged for her to get married. Did not tell her that her arranged future husband was going to be at this summer camp. And so she freaks out and thinks that like she's being assaulted. Um, and that is where the book kind of gets going. So of course, Dimple is not here for an arranged marriage at all. Um, but as she gets to know Rishi, uh, she kind of likes him, but cannot because on principle, she refuses to like get involved in the schemes of her parents and does not have time for dudes and is really caught up in this kind of false dichotomy of like, I cannot have a good career, which is what I want, and also have a good romantic relationship that's not possible. Like she really thinks that that's, that those things aren't possible. So you, and then you just, you know, you follow the two of them as they both embark on winning this contest, which is really important to Dimple and Rishi trying to win over Dimple, which is not important to Dimple, um, (laughs) but he kind of still kind of does it because he's just the best and I love him. So that's when Dimple met Rishi by Sanya Menon. So cute. Uh, I loved it too. All right. And the coffee is iced for the record. It is. It is. Um, She doesn't like burn him. (laughs) No. Our last question is from Kristen, who says, I would like to, quote unquote, read more audiobooks, but they don't fit well into my current lifestyle. I'm thinking that short story collections on audiobook would be a good way to go. Do you have any recommendations? So I also do not audiobook because I don't understand how to fit them into my current lifestyle. <laughs> I feel you. Um, but luckily, Katie, who writes our audiobooks newsletter, was full of suggestions for both of us and recommended Backtalk, which is a short story collection by Danielle Lazarin, narrated by Reba Boer. Um, and she says what sold her on the title was this blurb from another author, Eileen Pollock, who says, thank God, a collection of stories about women who don't hate themselves, don't hate other women don't hate their bodies don't hate their husbands or even their (laughs) ex-husbands women who are simply like me trying to figure out what it means to be alive to be in love to be daughters parents sibling wives citizens and human beings which i'm also sold by that i'm super sold by that um i love you know amanda said it earlier just women doing the thing i Mm -hmm. do love stories like that um and this narrator is one who i have heard our audiobook loving uh folks talk about before So that is Backtalk, which is a short story collection about women uh, by Danielle Lazarin. And I'm also going to throw a post in there for you. Um, It is specifically a whole post about audio short stories that you might find some other good suggestions there. Okay, I am recommending to you... Sherlock Holmes, just the all of them, just the body (laughs) of just Sherlock Holmes. Um, So... Sherlock Holmes is, uh, you know, short mystery stories were the things that got me into audiobooks. I was taking a really long road trip down to, from Virginia to Pensacola, Florida to visit my ex-husband's family. He was my husband at the time. Uh, so it was 13 hours and I had never really listened to audiobooks before. So I went to my library and was like, help. I have 13 hours of blank noise to fill. What do you recommend? And my librarian handed me like an old school giant freaking stack of CDs of Sherlock Holmes's short stories. And they were amazing. Like it got me through my trip. They're so engaging. You know, we're all there. They've like entered the collective subconscious, right? Like Sherlock Holmes is a Jungian archetype at this point. We all know the stories. <laughs> so there, you don't need to be like paying really close attention because you know how they're going to end. Like most of these will be very familiar to most people. 
Um, so it's not like if you your attention wanders, you're going to miss a detail. Um, so they're familiar and that's good in that way. But if you haven't actually read them, they're not all, you know, like they're not like the movies. They're not like the the Sherlock Holmes, you know, the BBC TV show um, they're, or the elementary. Like they're not, the details are obviously very different. Uh, and the details of the characters of Watson and Holmes himself are different. So they're, it's while they're familiar enough that you don't need to be paying like 100% attention to them, they're also new and different enough to what you're probably used to. Um, that I think they'll they'll keep your interest. And mysteries, I think, are always really great for audio listeners, especially people who aren't necessarily used to listening to audiobooks, because it's like sitting by a campfire and listening to someone like tell you a story. Like you have to know what happens. You'll find yourself sitting in your car, just like letting it play, because like what, but what's going to happen? And like, does he survive the fall into the waterfall and all this stuff? <laughs> um, so like you're you'll they're engrossing, you know. Um, and also, if you are new to audiobooks. Um, Every library has a giant stack of Sherlock Holmes on audio, uh, so it'll be really easy for you to get your hands on. So I have no ti- I'm not repeating a title. It's just Sherlock Holmes. Go find some Sherlock Holmes collections. You'll be you'll be fine. <laughs> and that's our show. Wahoo! Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, please do leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. It helps other people to find the show, and we do love seeing the feedback. Thank you, today's sponsors. And you can find us on social media. I am on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two Ns. And you can find Amanda. Uh, mostly on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.